What defines success? You never train to come in second. You know, when I was growing up in Louisville, I don't know any trainer trained their horse to come in second. What happens when you get knocked down? If you say you've never made a mistake, you've never learned anything, right? What makes some people radiate? I think it's very important, Betty, that yeah. uh, you really stay relevant, that you keep challenging yourself. I kind of live by this motto of an infinite capacity to improve upon everything I do. This is Radiate. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Radiate, the show where we interview some of the world's most successful people to find out how they work their way to the top. This week, Bob Nardelli joins Radiate. You know, we often talk to CEOs on this program, but here's a guy who's run nearly three companies. I say nearly because he ran Home Depot and he ran Chrysler, but he almost ran General Electric. He was one of three candidates to succeed Jack Welch, which he almost did, but he didn't. So Bob talks about what it was like to be passed over later in this conversation. And what were some of his biggest mistakes? You know, imagine that you'd be worried about making too many mistakes when you're overseeing tens of thousands of workers. So enjoy this conversation with Bob Nardelli. Thank you, Betty. It's great to be here with you. So um, for those of you who may or may not know Bob's immense background, former Home Depot CEO, I think actually when I was working at the Financial Times, I had interviewed you when you were at Home Depot. Yes. I believe that's when we first met. First met back in 2000. (sighs) So long ago. Um, Also former chairman and CEO of Chrysler and of course rose through the ranks at GE to become the CEO of GE Power Systems and you're now the founder and CEO of Accelerate, a private equity investment advisory firm? Yes. Okay, great. So I've got your storied background, Bob, and actually that's kind of where I want to start off. Okay. You know, people talk, when they think about their careers, right? I mean, a lot of people these days are saying to themselves, you know, I'm never going to retire, right? I want to work for, because, you know, they see themselves and they see, you know, their parents. They say, you know, I want to, you know, continue working um, for the rest of my life. So how do you stay fresh? How do you keep that longevity in your career? Well, first of all, on, on working, I'm 68 years old, and I have this uh, goal out there. It's called QTL, quality time left. <laughs> so, so I'm intent on uh, working as long as uh, the good Lord lets me. I, I love it. Uh, I think it's important to stay active. Yeah. It's important to stay relevant. And to your question, you know, even today I listen, I learn, and then I try to lead. So I think it's very important to uh, immerse yourself in what's happening today. So, for example, if I was still working off the things I learned in in the 70s, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be relevant. So it's important to me to be out in the marketplace, to be aware of things that are changing. I mean, technology, you know, maybe used to change on the decade. Now it's changing on the minute. Mm -hmm. So... I think it's very important, Betty, that uh, you really stay relevant, that you keep challenging yourself. Again, I kind of live by this motto of an infinite capacity to improve upon everything I do. Right. And then when I was running large organizations, an infinite capacity to improve on everything we do. Right. So you kind of set the standard is leading through example. So how do you, I mean, because I'm always curious, especially with CEOs, because you are bombarded by so many different things, right? Like you've got this fire going on, that fire going on. But then at the same time, you're required to know what the latest trends are, what the latest technology is, you know, and what the latest news is going on. So, like, how do you keep that fresh? Like, how do you stay on top of that? 
Yeah, so that's, that's a great question because I had the luxury and the privilege when I had large organizations to have wonderful men and women around me that were a lot smarter than me and challenged me to stay current, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that was a big advantage. Today, you know, when you're running your own company and you've got your own firm, you, you, you look around and there's basically no one there. Right. So you really have How to... How many people are at Accelerate right now? Uh, one. You? Me. Okay. Yeah. So, so again, it's very important. So I try to stay uh, current, you know, through watching uh, Bloomberg, for example. And, uh, you know, in the morning I'll watch a couple of TV shows, news. Right. news. I'll read a couple of papers. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm on the business console, which is a great way yeah. uh, to stay current in what's going on out there. Uh, I have four children and three grandchildren, so I learn a lot from them mm -hmm. uh, every day. And, and I think it's just, you have to have your antennas up and really be out to, you know, we talked earlier about trying to, you know, you're somewhat of a dry sponge. Yeah. And you have to immerse yourself in the bucket of technology or what's happening out there today and come up. Otherwise, you will pace yourself and you'll pace the businesses that you're, but, you're but, acquiring. But do you spend like, let's say, you know, an hour a day or do you try to find like, you know, a couple of hours a week where you just sort of sit back and like think big things versus like, you know, like you're on the ground trying yeah. to do this deal, trying to buy this company, do this. I, I don't. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm not that disciplined, I guess, but I seek every moment. Uh, I really try to, you know, I, I, I do 200 nights a year on the road. Wow. So, you know, I'm in a plane a lot, so I get a lot of... How many did you do when you were running like, see, you know, Home Depot or... or? Uh, well... I mean, is this more or less? About the same, about you know, because I would, when I was running Home Depot, we would walk maybe 300 stores a year. Wow. But we'd go out and, you know, touch the associates, touch the customers, touch the product. So I do get, uh, I do get a lot of seat time that allows me to think, to your point, uh, to read. Uh, I, I, I learned a lot from my mentor, Jack Welch, about connecting the dots. Mm -hmm. So I'm always looking for, if I read this, how does it relate to that? Uh, if I see something happening out there in the market, how can that relate to the businesses that I've got in my portfolio? Or is there something out there that we should go after and target for a potential bolt-on acquisition and adjacency or something? You know, at Home Depot, we did 50 acquisitions in 18 months. And we went from zero to eight billion in Home Depot supply. Right. And that's just being, you know, sensitive Crazy. to what's happening out there. So, Bob, I know you you talk a lot um, and you write also about leadership. So, yes. so give me what you think is the biggest leadership issue or hot button issue going on right now. Yeah. Well, I think I think there's there's a number of them. One we were talking about earlier is this whole area of leadership development, mm -hmm. uh, succession planning. Uh, performance review. You know, a lot of people out there today, what I find, Betty, they all want authority. Okay. Uh, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Well, they want to be the boss. They oh, want. Gotcha. They want to be able to approve things. They want to be able to make decisions. So they want authority. Uh, there's a lesser amount that wants responsibility, mm -hmm. and even a lesser amount that want accountability. <laughs> is what I see. So, Unless it's a success. Then everyone um, says me. Well, that's true. I mean, yeah. everybody, you know, what, success or has many, you know, many parents or exactly. many fathers. And, but, it, but it is interesting, you know, in today's environment, uh, as I see that striation of authority, responsibility, accountability. And again, I have to admit, you know, I grew up 
in a culture of accountability. Mm -hmm. uh, under Jack, it was, uh, you know, make your numbers and you don't have to talk. Don't make your numbers and you can't talk enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so when we we'd go in for these reviews, you know, if you had a lot of narrative, and he would say, well, the only, the only number I see in that is, is your page number. <laughs> and so let's flip to the financials. Interesting. Yeah, so, you know, I'm blessed to have been Train, trained, trained yeah. under him about being very granular, getting into the details. Now, you know, you can get criticism for that, and I have in the past, for being too granular, okay. uh, too micromanaging. But, you know, if you think about the businesses that I've been, you know, fortunate to be part of and the organizations, you know, our team has enjoyed tremendous success over the 45 years I've been in business. How would you describe yourself as a leader? Uh, there's different types, right? Yeah. I mean, there's like the commanding leader. Yeah. There's, the, you know, we're actually just, um, we, I think we tweeted out a post about this from a, a business coach who said like, there's six types. I can't remember all of them, but yeah. you know, there's commanding, there's democratic, there's coaching, there's, you know. Yeah. I think successful leaders have a piece of all of that. Okay. I think if you're 100% command and control, you're not going to allow for the diversity of your team. And, and let me tell you what I mean by that. I'm a firm believer that, you know, because I've grown up in organizations where they're always first among peers. Mm. And GE was kind of like engineering. And Home Depot was tend to be the merchants, right? So my philosophy was an equal participation of all the leadership team, literally at a round table. And, and the way you maximize the sum of the total is that you're very granular and involved with each individual and, and the ability to multitask through them so that you, you have everybody working at the highest level of performance they can right. by staying involved so you don't launch and leave, mm -hmm. right? Betty, go do this and I'll see you in six months. So you have continual dialogue uh, at the macro, micro level on there's the strategic view and what are you doing to accomplish it. I think it's very important if you can't put your strategy on one sheet of paper for the organization, I mean, Home Depot, we had 330,000 associates. Mm. And so to get clarity, everybody has to know what's important and how is it what they're doing every day contributes to that success. Right. Otherwise, otherwise, come review. Otherwise, they don't know. Well, otherwise, come review time, there's a disconnect. Well, I'm working on this. Well, why? Well, because I thought that's what you meant. No, that's not what I meant. I meant about, you know, enhancing the core extending the business, expanding the market. Mm -hmm. Those were the three initiatives. We had megatrends uh, back in 2000, post 9-11. The home became a sanctuary. We had aging in place. We had safety and security. So what were the products and services that we were gonna offer consistent with the market back and customer-centric kind of view? I wanted to ask you about um, some of the challenges in your career, Bob, yeah. and, and what, you know, maybe some of the mistakes you've made or the low points in your career and, and what you've learned from them. Because I always hear from people, like, that's when they learn the most. So, yes. so what would you say was, looking back, like a mistake that you made in your career that you learned something from? Yeah. Well, listen, if you say you've never made a mistake, you've never learned anything, right? <laughs> right. I mean, I, I could certainly reflect back and, and uh, at times, uh, I thought I was bending but not breaking the organization. And, uh, you know, there was a general opinion at times that maybe I was pushing the organization too fast, too hard, too quick to change the culture or to change the operating system. So, 
maybe I should have had a little better sensitivity to that. I guess. Was this at Home Depot? Yeah, at Home Depot. I mean, we went from a little over 40 billion to 90 billion in five years. We opened a thousand stores. We opened a new store every 48 hours. Wow. You know, we almost tripled the income. We we grew Home Depot supply from zero to eight billion. We grew from zero to billion eight online. Mm -hmm. And so we were blowing and going. And, and you were breaking things, I'm sure, right? And because yeah, you have well, to when you're growing I would say that. not break. I hope I was <laughs> influencing or, or encouraging or right. bending. But, uh, you know, I, I just saw the opportunities and wanted to seize them. And I think right. a lot of the leadership team, you know, we didn't have, uh, once we got our organization structure in place and populated, you know, we didn't have a lot of turnover. I mean, people really bought into you could do it, we can help. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, having those like at uh, GE Power Systems, it was from wellhead to consumer. Right. People bought into that. You know, when I was running GE Transportation, it was together we can. And, you know, we had probably one of the strongest unions in the country, the, the I, uh, IUE. And, and one, of the, one of the happiest, I mean, one of the most gratifying is when we had the head of the union and, and come up and say, we got it, you know, we're on board. We know what you're trying to do. You're going from 300 locomotives a year to 800 locomotives. Mm -hmm. It was similar, you know, one of my highlights was when I went to Chrysler. You know, it was interesting, Betty, they, an outsider, right? Not Detroit, not an auto guy. Right. And they said, uh, Bob, what, what the heck do you know about the auto industry? You know, uh, what can you bring to it? And, I, and we were going through a rough time, you know, the financial institution yep. melted down. Uh, the FICA scores went from 350 to 750. And I said, well, auto guys got you here in this problem. I'm trying to help you, right? <laughs> That's a good point. And, and uh, so that was, that was interesting. And the other thing, here, here's kind of an interesting, I didn't want to take the position without talking to Ron Gettelfinger, who was hmm. the head of the UAW. So I went down to his headquarters. And uh, fast forward, Ron and I are dear friends. We still talk. And, tremendous respect for what Ron helped us through. Mm -hmm. So Ron, and you didn't know that at the time when you went down there. I mean, no, you're going into I stepped an in. enemy territory there. Well, I was cautious, right? Because yeah. I wanted to be respectful and I knew, you know, it, it, the, the UAW has been there longer than I was there. So we walked <laughs> in the conference room and he brings in a stack of papers like this and then he brought in a single sheet. And I said, oh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> and so he started flipping the paper about stories about the, the chairman and CEO of GE. And he said, you know, Jack said this, and Jack said this, and Jack said this. And, and uh, so I was listening, right? And he said, and I looked, I looked, you know, you up and trying to find articles about you, and he turned over a blank sheet of paper. He said, you're good by me. You know, so we hit it off, and he was a tremendous partner uh, huh. through that whole process. We would not have been able to save Chrysler if it wasn't for Ron and his leadership with the UAW. And that trust right from the beginning. From the beginning, day one. Yeah. That's fascinating. Very, very important. And so, you know, again, I've been blessed with a lot of highlights and, and lowlights in my career. I must have made some mistakes. You know, I didn't get the job at GE. Uh, so, you know. How did that feel when that happened, Bob? Well, Jack hates for me to say this, but, but anyway, it was, you know, you never train to come in second. You know, when I was growing up in Louisville, uh, I don't know any trainer, horse, you know, train their horse to come in second. <laughs> you know, we're going to come in second today, right? So, so, you know, I thought, keep your head down, do your job, mm -hmm. and uh, 
I've always thought about that. Worry, do, focus on what you're doing, not what you want to do next. Mm. And uh, so it was crushing. You know, it was a it was a moment out of Casablanca. It mm. was it was uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, Jack calls said, "I'm gonna meet you at the FBO." It was snowing, rainy, sleet. He comes down, and you just knew, you know, it wasn't going to be a good discussion. Hmm. Uh, but look, he made a decision, and, and I respect him for that. I, I, I love Jack. You know, he's been a good friend to me, still is. A tremendous regard for him and what he allowed me to do and coached me to do. And but I, I'd be lying if I wasn't disappointed. Now, you know, so that happened, and then within a week, I was running. Home Depot. So, but you had no idea that that was going to happen. No, right? I mean I'd been a customer of Home Depot, but I never <laughs> thought I'd be running Home Depot. But it worked out. It worked out just fine. So I was lucky as heck to be able to go from that to Home Depot and then to Chrysler. Well, that also. Um, I'm kind of curious. You know, when that conversation happened, like how did Jack deliver it, or how did that go? Because I think a lot of people wonder, like, how do you deliver bad news to people? I mean, how do you? He said, "Listen." You know, I just had to make a gut decision. You know, it's, uh, I just had to make a gut call, and all three of you were great, and any one of you could have done it. And, uh, you know, I decided to go with Jeff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. He treated me well, and so it was, you know, it was heartbreaking for me, and I'm sure a tough call for him. And But we handled it in a very professional way. Right. And uh, we both moved on. and and uh, you know no hard feelings. Bob did you always know that you wanted to be a leader that you were that you wanted to become a chief executive like did you always uh, I mean nobody goes up and says I want to be a CEO in the sense of like you know they're always like I want to do this I want to do that but did you know that you wanted to? Well I've run into some that have said that <laughs> <laughs> right out of, college right, out of college right? <laughs> no it, it, uh, this is a great story I'll tell you um, you know, I graduated in 1971, mm -hmm. and I had—I uh, was going to be a management trainee for Ponderosa Steakhouse. I was going to sell life insurance for Metropolitan Life, and then I got the offer of a lifetime to start as a manufacturing engineer mm -hmm. in 1971 for $9,600. And when I talked to students, you know, in the MBA program, they said, "You mean a week?" I said, "No, for a year." And, and, and I, got, I went into the uh, two-year manufacturing uh, management training program at uh, GE because mm -hmm. I wanted to take core curriculum and then localize it to how GE thinks about it. And one of, the, one of the tasks was write down the number of positions between you and Reg Jones, who was the chairman and CEO. Mm -hmm. I literally filled, I think, two and a half sheets of paper. Reg Jones, blah, 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 vice chairman, brought, and then there was me down here at like a level five, they used to have these levels right. at $9,600 a year. And I remember telling my wife, you know, we've, we've been married now for 45 years, 13 moves later, and <laughs> uh, I said, geez, if I could ever make $100,000 and be a unit manager. A unit manager just controlled a section of a, of a manufacturing plant, like, mm -hmm. like ran the assembly or ran fabrication. I said, man, this would, I would have, I, we will have arrived if I could get there. So, wow. you know, I, I, no, I mean, as I was successful and, you know, really lucky to be able to move up, then, you know, it really wasn't, it really wasn't until I came back to GE. I left for a while. I took a little sabbatical mm -hmm. and ran case construction equipment worldwide. And then I was lucky enough to come back. And it was only when I came back and through 
through, uh, I had to go to purgatory for a while. Jack sent me to Canada. He said, I can't, I can't reward you for leaving and coming back. And so I went up there for a while. And then he brought me back to run transportation and then power system. And it was only then that I thought, you know, maybe I got a shot at this thing. So mm. yeah, I always believed, again, do your job, stay focused on your core, volunteer to do everything you can to broaden your base. Right. People, a lot of my peers criticize me because I took some jobs that were I call horizontal promotion, hmm. right? And, and they said, wow, why do you want to run assembly from five in the morning till nine at night? So if I don't do it now, I may never get that experience. Right. And, and so I was fortunate to grow a broad base of experience that has served me well looking back now uh, on how it positioned me, what I learned, not only operationally, but people. Right. I mean, we had an assembly line. We were making three refrigerators an hour, 150 people on a deck in Louisville in the summer is over 100 degrees. Now, what they don't teach you is when an employee came up and said, I can't work next to that guy. He smells. So, <laughs> you know, that's not something you learn in the MBA program. Those are program. problems. Exactly. Yeah. Those are problems you don't get taught. You yet. don't get taught that problem. Yeah. Or, you know, when, when somebody's <laughs> supposed to be checking the quality and is sitting there reading the paper because, you know, they've been doing it for 25 years and you confront them and then, you know, you kind of stir the bee pot a little bit. Right. So it's easy to get people to walk out of a factory. It's pretty hard to get them back in again. <laughs> so, but I, I was, I'm lucky to have all that scar tissue. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week. And I'm sad to say, yes, our season two is ending. Oh, <laughs> we had a blast with some of the great CEOs, entrepreneurs, leaders out there who are kind enough to sit down with me. I've learned so much from each and every one of you. Now we're gonna be taking a little bit of a break because I need to focus on many things, including my family, but also on this little thing that we're building at Radiate, which is turning into much more than a podcast. It's become a place that we hope you go to to help you in your career. It's not just about hearing stories. We all love hearing stories, but it's also about getting real advice, tips, concrete things that you can do to help you grow. So please, if you like what we're doing, you want to support us, check us out at radiateinc.com. That's radiateinc.com. Sign up for my newsletter to keep up to date. I can't tell you exactly when we will be back, but it won't be too long. So be sure to follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn to get lots of updates. Be sure to sign up again for our newsletter. And if you like this podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes and review us. So until next time, see you on Radiate. Radiate.